Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner Ravindra awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yes, we have a great chat room, great conversation. Everyone contributes to the material that we're discussing, so I always learn something new. Um, yeah, I'm in the chat room, but I also have Andrea helping out in there as well today, so do come join us. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right, I wasn't going to, but I am going to say farewell to a friend of mine. Over 30 years ago, I got started in the radio business with a man by the name of Jim Kirkwood on KTKK Radio out of Salt Lake City, Utah. He was my mentor, my friend, my supporter, and he passed on today. So, Jim, if you're out there listening, thank you. I appreciate you more than words. Okay. In this week's Spotlight, I wish to discuss the power of words on our brains. We all remember the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, the fact is, this old stale saying is not only false on its face, but research has now shown that words can indeed physically alter your brain. Neuroscientists Andrew Newberg and Mark Robert Waldman have observed changes in the brain due to the words we use, including those that arise in our thoughts. Think of that for a minute. Words like peace and love can strengthen areas in the frontal lobe, giving rise to increased cognitive function and even arguably influencing the expression of our genes. Conversely, Negative, hostile words like hate can influence the production of neurochemicals, increasing the production of stress-producing hormones. Additionally, angry words have been shown to interrupt the optimal operation of our logic reason centers in the frontal lobe. In their book, Words Can Change Your Brain, Newberg and Waldman report their findings this way. By holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind, you stimulate frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the motor cortex responsible for moving you into action. And as our research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of your brain. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. A positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will tend you towards suspicion and doubt. Over time, the structure of your thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts and feelings, and we believe that that thalamic change affects the way in which you perceive reality. Now, in a paper published in the American Journal of Psychiatry, Martin Teichner and colleagues at Harvard Medical School share these results of a new study. Those individuals who reported experiencing verbal abuse from their peers during middle school years had underdeveloped connections between the left and right sides of their brain through the massive bundle of connecting fibers called the corpus callosum. Psychological tests given to all subjects in the study showed that this same group of individuals had higher levels of anxiety, depression, anger, hostility, dissociation, and drug abuse than others in the study. All right, bottom line, what you think, how you talk to yourself, 
the way you verbalize your feelings, all of this has a very real influence on your brain and therefore your body-mind being. Not only that, but the way you express yourself to others may have a lasting effect on both of you. For years I have taught the importance of the thoughts we hold, our self-talk, that inner dialogue that goes on almost incessantly, because these thoughts can and often do become things. Our thoughts, our mind, can be seen as our best friend or our worst enemy, and we have the ability to develop it either way. Mind as healer or mind as slayer, it's really up to you. My advice? Tend to the thoughts you have. Cancel those you do not wish to claim. Replace them with a positive set of self-affirming, life-affirming words. Look for beauty, ah, love, and joy in everything, and when you catch a glimpse of it, hold it in your thoughts, dwell on it, enjoy it, and accept the miracle that life is. Now, one more thing. Remember that the research clearly shows that it is our subconscious that makes almost all of our decisions. So remember to work on actively changing the self-destructive programming that may exist there. Catch those negative thoughts and cancel them and replace them immediately with the thoughts you'd like to have. All right, your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, this particular subject totally fits your life work. Uh, you talk about um, the power of your beliefs and there's all the books and stuff that you and I are reading right now, you know, the Schwab and the Newberg that talk about uh, the power of... Neuroscientists. The power of what you think and that's what your inner talk technology is about. That's because believing in yourself does always matter. What you think has ramifications over your physiology, your life expectancy, your joy, your happiness, just over everything. So, yes. Well, you know, and perhaps, just perhaps, at, at this particular moment in time when, you know, half of the country is divided and uh, disappointed and fearful, and, you know, we might stop for a minute and realize that the more we dwell on that negative, the more we literally injure our own being uh, you know there's a time and a place and if there is ever a time for us to become united and give the benefit of the doubt now is the time and if there's ever a pragmatic behind it be selfish take care of yourself you know um, immunize yourself by thinking positive Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Professor David Hand and we discussed his research and book, The Improbability Principle, Why Coincidences, Miracles, and Rare Events Happen Every Day. Leonard wrote, I really enjoyed your show with Professor Hand. Thank you for bringing us such solid information with so many great guests. Elizabeth wrote, I'm glad you made the point that true miracles may still happen. John wrote, too many people take probable events and call them miracles and then use them to justify everything. Thank you for giving Professor Hand the opportunity to clarify some of this for us. R.K. commented, poor intuition about unlikely events. I think this is common today among New Age thinkers. I have to admit I get tired when people claim validation for their ideas because an angel spoke to them by dropping a feather in front of them or in an unexpected smile from a child. Richard commented, people have a really hard time accepting the random chaotic nature of the universe. I attribute this to a fundamentally narcissistic nature. CB added, this goes with a guest description of how one can prepare themselves to take advantage of opportunities. The person who looks for opportunities will see more than the person who does not. Then action must take place or the opportunity just goes by unengaged. Moving on, Robert wrote, I ordered your book, Gotcha, as I have read all of your other books and I have learned quite a bit from them. I use you as a mentor and so much of the information gleaned from your newsletters and books resonates with me. And for that, I say thank you for being who you are. Well, thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. 
Bridget wrote, I purchased your inner talk stress in schools for my three-year-old who was going through a stage of her hating her nursery, which is attached to her pre-preschool. I began to dread the journey and her crying. I don't want to go to school, mummy. Mummy. You know, this this person's not from America, right? (laughs) Especially as I realized that I would have that journey to that school until she was 13. I now play the Stress in School CD on the way to school, and all I know is that I now have a calm, happy little girl who, according to her teachers, has blossomed and is more interactive and sociable. I've since purchased many other Intertalk CDs, and my life has changed. I constantly talk about these CDs to anyone who will listen. At first I was quite skeptical, but now I'm a firm believer that they work. Good luck in spreading the benefits of Intertalk. Well, Bridget, it's amazing just how easily we can change when we take a moment to train our perceptions. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ravinder? It absolutely does. You know, I'm constantly talking to customers on the phone, and they're often surprised at how effective different programs are. You know, they they try one out because a friend has told them to, or a friend has purchased it, or their parents have bought them, you know, for them, and... Uh, they experience the change themselves and sometimes the change happens in such an interesting way it's like when I played the anger program I played the releasing anger I think I put it on for quality control purposes but I happened to have something that was upsetting me at the time and I just felt the anger dissipate the power of your thoughts really is incredible and when you get that sense of peace that comes inside when a particular problem just dissolves well nothing beats it because it doesn't matter what the problem is to that individual that problem is significant you know when i hear stories like that and and i'm fortunate i'm blessed and i want to thank everybody out there for sharing their stories with us but when i when i hear those stories i sometimes think of a time that i was doing a radio interview in las vegas and uh it was a call-in show and, and it started as a debate about the whole subject. And I was explaining, you know, how the mind interacts with the body. And this was many years ago, and, you know, psychoneuroimmunology was a word that, you know, even people in healthcare stumbled over. Uh, so, you know, we got this phone call, and the guy on the phone says, you know, I just have a real hard time believing you. I mean, you're going to tell me that one of these tapes will change the oil in my car next, right? If that's how many people still see the mind and the body. Like, they're, they're completely separate. Like, you know, we don't seem to understand that the way we talk to us not only changes the brain physically, like we discovered mm-hmm. discussed in the spotlight today, but... These neurochemicals, this this interaction between the brain and the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, the endocrine system, the immune system, that is the function of the body for crimeny. I mean, how can you separate them? You you have to to realize that it's that important. All right, moving on. Julia wrote, Intertalk has rewritten all the garbage programming of my childhood and younger years. There are no words to describe how I feel now compared to how subhuman I used to feel. I can't thank you enough. And actually, Julia, you just did. Thank you. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by emailing me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. We sincerely appreciate your comments and feedback. Now to this week's show, The Power of Forgiveness and the Four-Corner Philosophy. Many people ask just how forgiveness gives rise to increasing personal power. Many more find it unreasonable to forgive the unforgivable. They fail to understand that refusing to forgive is essentially self-limiting. It defines a person as a perpetual victim, unable to move on with their lives and or maximize their potential. It turns out that forgiving is freeing. It frees each of us, and the act itself is empowering. Now, some of you may well have questions about how this really works from a pragmatic standpoint, as opposed to the idealistic metaphysical perspective. And it is precisely this pragmatic approach that we will be discussing today. Pragmatism insists that something works in the real world here and now, not somewhere, somehow, someday. 
All right. Ravinder has developed some questions that follow the practical side of forgiveness and life improvement. This will lead us to what I have called the four-corner philosophy, a pragmatic approach to life improvement, real improvement in the here and now. So on that, Rav, before we get started with your questions, first please tell everyone about the gift you have for those listeners today. What is it and how do they get it? And why would they want it? I think today's gift is um, really important today out of out of all days or just this week. Um, we are giving away a free copy of the Inner Talk Forgiveness Program. Now, just like I described earlier, my own experience when I played the Anger Program where the anger just dissipated. Well, when you get the Inner Talk Forgiveness Program, just put it on. Play it in the background. Play it all day. Play it all night. You know, it's very quiet. It's very soothing. Um, and you can watch those emotions just drain away, which is a lot healthier for you. Um, It's healthy for your body. It's healthier for your state of mind. So it is our forgiving and letting go program that we're giving away free of charge. And you can get that just by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash forgive. So that is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash forgive. You can download the program right now and right after the show. You don't want to play it while we're on the air, but right after the show, you can start playing it. And I'd like to hear, you know, the types of reactions that you get. We get loads of these testimonials all the time, but but just play it and feel better right now. Right Empower now. Empower yourself, yep. Right now. Okay, where do you want to start with your questions? Well, you know, I always like having the history of something as well. And, you know, you've been questioned numerous times about forgiveness and why that is so important in your work. So I would like to hear the story of how and when you first began emphasizing forgiveness in your work in general. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back a few years, many years, I guess. Um, I'm a practicing criminalist. And... um, I have a large lie detection practice and some uh, examiners that work for me. And um, one of the problems in lie detection is what we call inconclusives. And that can occur when a dishonest person comes in and practices countermeasures. And even if you see the countermeasures and as an examiner are certain they're lying to you, uh, it's the instrumentation you have to rely on and uh, the instrumentation is just a biofeedback device and you can there are countermeasures that will skew it okay uh, and or you occasionally get that honest person who is just you know the situational stress is such that it just causes uh, again an inconclusive you're unable to say they are or are not practicing deception well I heard that the Los Angeles Police Department was using an audio subliminal program to dehydrate candidates in the academy um, as a test designed to be used during the Los Angeles Olympics if there was an abduction scenario. Now this whole scenario would go like, well, you spent so many hours on the phone in negotiation, they would play in white sound, the subliminal messages designed to dehydrate the people on the other end give rise to, um, you know, a number of physical symptoms that would lend credibility to the story that would be given them that they were in an infected area, they needed to be moved, uh, this was to their own health benefit, etc. It was a way of taking control of the situation. <clears throat> I was never able to verify that or have that story denied. But it it launched a series of investigations by myself that ultimately led to the patent of our technology, InterTalk. But the bottom line is, once I had sorted through all the nonsense and, and developed this dichotic masked method, uh, which is different than, you know, what you think of as classical subliminal, but that's technical. Well, once I developed that, we implemented it in the lie detection business, and my inconclusives disappeared. So I shared the information with some other agencies, and they, too, began to employ the technology. And we did so until we heard from 
a county attorney that it probably wasn't a good idea without informed consent. Well, a friend of mine who worked at the Utah State Prison heard about what I was doing and asked me if it might not be a tool that could be used to rehabilitate inmates at the Utah State Prison. Uh, I have to tell you, at the time, I was very custodial in my orientation, and I thought of inmates as, you know, we incarcerate them. Um, and in that process, they learn to be better criminals. They come out, they move in next door to you, they date your neighbor, and they practice more crime. So I, I was not really, I guess, excited about the idea, but I had a great deal of respect for my friend. And so we went out to the prison system. Charles McCusker, the late Charles McCusker, a psychologist in Utah, Lee Liston, who is now the warden of the female facility in Utah, and myself, and we set up a double-blind study. Well, the first thing that we had to know was what are we going to put on these programs in order to rehabilitate? And so we ran some very serious psychometric instrumentation. Uh, we used the MMP of Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. We used a special lens, uh, computer uh, augmented way of delivering the lens is known as a Fowler lens, specifically developed for incarcerated environments. And when we were all said and done, we didn't have any surprises. We had high scores in self and social alienation, which essentially is, you know, the inmate has low self-esteem and even less esteem for you out there the society at large. When we met with these inmates and we talked to them, because this was a voluntary group that uh, we were working with, I get a different kind of a story. I get a story that very often, and I'm going to, you know, dramatize it some, but it was, uh, you know, Ah, but for the grace of God, there go you. You know, my daddy was an alcoholic. My mommy was a prostitute. The neighbor boy mainlined me when I was eight years old. I mean, what do you expect? Society did this to me. Now, as I say, that's a little dramatized. But nevertheless, we had these, this uniform story that displaced responsibility, that blamed who they were, where they were, what they had done on someone, something, society at large, okay? And, you know, when we really looked at these stories, you could have, you know, two brothers that came from the same home. One would be a physician in a teaching hospital. The other would be in the prison system. They had had identical opportunities in life, same parents, same circumstances. They just made different choices. So when we sat down, try to decide, you know, what is it that we're going to do that's going to turn this around? We have to undo this displacement of responsibility, this blame. How are we going to undo blame? We came up with something that today I refer to as the forgiveness set. I forgive myself. I forgive all others. I am forgiven. We took those three messages. We added them together with some self-esteem boiler plating and augmented a double-blind study, which simply means we had a group that was awaiting control, we had a group listening to a placebo, and we had a group listening to the real message. When the data was done, we had such robust results that the prison system installed voluntary libraries throughout it. Other prison systems uh, copied it, um, and it basically changed my career. I was asked very many times after that, why forgiveness? How, how does forgiveness give rise to responsibility? And the bottom line is, you know, there's two ways to be tied up in the world. The one is somebody physically binds you, you know, and I can't go anywhere. And the other is you attach a thread to a doorknob and you refuse to pull it hard enough to either break it or to let go of it and walk away. You're just as tethered to that as, as if somebody tied you in place. And that's what blame does. It ties us up in place. We can't take responsibility for a situation if it's not my fault. Now, that's not to say that you're saying as a victim, okay, this is my fault, because I'm not encouraging anybody to do that. But it is saying I have to step out of victimhood. I have to allow myself to forgive it so I'm no longer 
tied up in place. So I'm no longer trapped in this one one area where my thoughts, my feelings, everything that I dwell on make a victim out of me. In order to get beyond that, I have to forgive. Now, earlier in the spotlight, we talked about the power of words. Here's an instance where as long as I'm blaming I am holding on to these negative thoughts. I'm holding on to this, you know, sometimes attitude that I'd like to get even, you know, or why me? And that's not healthy in any pragmatic way. You know what? We have a break here. So when we come back, I'll let you pick up the next question or pursue that in any way you want. We're speaking about the power of forgiveness. We have a gift for all of our listeners today. So remember to go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash forgive and get yours now. Forgiving and letting go, it's a program that will make a real difference in your life. We also have a video for you in our chat room discussing self-actualization, so please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High Is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting about the power of forgiveness. Now, we normally ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. Okay, we just played some of Better Man, A Choice of Mine. I think the lyrics to this song pretty well explain why I like it. Sum it up this way, I'm going to make my world a better place. I'm going to keep a smile on my face. I'm going to teach myself how to understand I'm going to make myself a better man. You have anything you want to add to that, Rev? Oh, that totally sums you up. You spend every second of every day trying to make yourself a better man. And if ever you disappoint yourself, you go right back and work at it and hammer it away until any problem issues go away. And then you go and work on growing some more. So, no, I've... That has to be your most appropriate song. Well, I don't know about that, but I love Plus the fact it's great to dance to. I love Ken Hall. I do, (laughs) I do, I do. We saw him live here in uh, Spokane. He's quite an entertainer for sure. All right. And we have a son who loves playing guitar, so, you know, it adds all. It, you know, (laughs) makes it very special. You're up next. You, uh, where do you want to go? I from do. The, I, the next question I have for you, you know, is uh, regards to personal responsibility because you define it somewhat differently than most people. Can you tell us all what your ideas on personal responsibility are? What does that mean? Uh, yeah, you, you know, and that's a good question because I get asked it a lot. But the bottom line is this. Most people think about self-responsibility in terms of, you know, them, their personal space, shall we say. I don't think of it that way. I think of personal responsibility as in any interaction, in anything that I'm involved in, I am responsible to do my best to make that a positive um, environment, to make it a positive Outcome. Uh, let me. You know, I love stories because stories stick with you. You can remember the story when you've forgotten even why the story, but the moral of the story will remain in in the in the, in the weave of the story itself. But and th- this is a true story. Uh, I moved my offices from Utah to Las Vegas, Nevada few years ago, many years ago, actually before I even met you. And um, my first experience in Las Vegas, uh, business-wise, was really to make that daily trip to the post office. And I went to the post office, and everybody was growling and grumpy, and I mean everybody, all the customers, the staff, it was hot, the air conditioning didn't really work, there were people lined up outside the door, which kept the doors open, it was a really agitated group of people, and when I left that day, I thought, you know, I'm not going to do this every day, that's all there is to it. I had the idea, I mean, I even thought, I must admit, about sending my secretary to do it. (laughs) But that wouldn't have been self-responsible. So what I did is I decided I'd do something, you know, that many people can think of as a bit metaphysical. And I suppose, in a sense, it is. But it's also pragmatic. When I went to the post office the next day, I tried to fill the room with light. I just tried to see everybody smiling, having a good time. You know, I just imagined it radiating with, you know, joy. And I had a big smile on my face, and I forced it, and I, you know, hi, how you doing? Tried to be warm and, you know, gregarious. And and I have to tell you, at first, the way people looked at me, you would have thought I was an alien. Uh, and it was really hard to kind of keep it up. You know, you do that, and somebody looks at you, what's your problem, boy? And, <laughs> you know, and it has this but a problem. I don't have a problem. I just think it's a beautiful day. You know, try and stay on that cheery. Well, here's the bottom line. It did take almost a month before things changed. But by the time a month had passed, it was a different environment. I would get there, the post office, there could be lines, people would be smiling, they'd be patient. I'd get up to the counter, and instead of that postal clerk, what do you want? Say, Doc, what what are you after today? Get your mail for you, or, you know, everything had changed. Now, 
the story to me illustrates the importance of just simply saying to yourself, this is an unacceptable environment. What can I do to make it a positive one? I'm going to be participating in this every day. I don't want to come in here and walk out feeling like I just got drugged through the mud. You know, my mood is now... No. So how... What is it that I can do to change it? You know, it, it only takes one person. It's, you know, one step. And, and, and things change. And uh, taking responsibility, in my view, is doing the very best you can to make it a better world. You know, let's just go back to Kebmo. That's your place in the world. Um, if it's nothing more than smiling, you know, People don't seem to understand that the brain is hardwired in ways. You know, when you go to the physician and he taps you on the knee and you hit that knee-jerk reaction, that's because you're hardwired. Well, the brain is hardwired that when you smile, it releases endorphins. That's the body's feel-good chemicals. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, if you want to change your life, here's, here's a simple thing. When you wake up in the morning, go, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because gratitude is really important. And we'll get to that when we go to the four corners. But it changes your expectation about the day. Instead of thinking, oh, i got to go to work today. Oh, did I sleep well last night? Oh, you know, it, it sets up a yes, thank you, thank you. And it doesn't matter what you're saying thank you for. Thank you for life. Thank you for a warm bed. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. And then put this big smile on your face. Because those endorphins then bathe your body and tell you, oh, you know, because the brain, again, is hardwired. I feel good. Well, smiling is contagious. It's like laughter. You can be somewhere, and somebody starts laughing, and the next thing you know, somebody else is laughing. Pretty quick, everybody's laughing, and you don't even clue what you're laughing about. <laughs> it's just a contagious kind of, it's a, an aspect of human sharing that is so natural and so healthy Norman Cousins wrote in his book, The Anatomy of an Illness, that he cured his cancer, terminal cancer. You know, watching funny movies, the old Laurel and uh, Rabbit and Costello and Laurel and Hardy kinds of things. Just And, and so deciding that you're going to take responsibility to change your world is something you can do in everything that you do every day. Does that answer your question? It does indeed. That's a fabulous story and really appropriate from right now because you can really take that from two perspectives. You can take it from the metaphysical perspective, putting light out there. Well, you know, but even if you don't believe in the metaphysical part of it, you have just the practical. What you expect is what you get. Uh, people will reflect what it is that they see on your face. And right now there is so much angst in the world. Put a smile on your face. Say something nice to your we, you neighbor, know, put up a friendly post on Facebook. Go for it. Make the world a better place. Cool. That's right. Fabulous. Remember, advice we have for mirror today. neurons, uh -huh. and those mirror neurons are—you know—that's why we copy things that we do copy. So take advantage of them. You know, see how many people you can get to smile today just by smiling at them. Smile at them. Say something nice. Go for it. Between us all, between. Us too, and everyone out there listening, you know, let's just change the tempo of America right now and make it a fabulous place. Go say you know, nice. and the wonderful like thing that. about that is, is while you're making it a better world, you feel hey, better too. You are immunizing yourself, baby, to live a longer, healthier, happier life. Absolutely. That'll change your emotions. That'll change your physiology. Go for it. Let's do that. That makes me feel better just talking about that. That's right. So, yes, go, go share that. Okay. I've got another question for you. Um, in your New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions, which has to be my favorite book of yours, and for anyone out there, if you haven't read it, you really need to because it gives the great overview of Eldon's work in general, but it's, it's the very practical applications of all of this, and that's always my preferred, so it is a fabulous book. But in Choices and Illusions, you provide us with what you refer to as the four-corner philosophy. Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. You know, there, all my research, all the many, many years, and I date myself now, but the many, 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 many years that I have examined why people do what they do, uh, how they can improve their lives, you know, from the neuroanatomy of, of who we are to, to 
the attitudes, the mood states, how they all interrelate from success as a, you know, I've had the good fortune to work with many elite athletes, uh, with Fortune 500 executives, and, and, and to look at the profiles of even more, there are four things that I think of as the four corners that make for a life that is authentic, that knows self-actualization, if you will, to use Maslow's words. It is that point where if I'm going to go today, that's okay. I'm ready. I mean, I've, 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 I've reached all that I could reach to today. Uh, tomorrow, maybe there'll be a new ceiling, but to today. That's a state of, you know, a, a, a level of, of feeling that comes in self-actualization. The first is forgive. We discussed that. The second is be responsible, the kind of self-responsibility we talked about. The third is gratitude. Gratitude is so important. You know, when I first started talking about gratitude, all the research on forgiving and gratitude hadn't been done. But today we know, you know, just how, again, I come back to the importance of words and how they influence the brain and therefore then the body and therefore then the quality of life we know, our expectations and therefore our relationships our perceptions and therefore the vision we have for the potential that we might otherwise that we might manifest in life um, you know it, 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 it the point of gratitude I, I guess let me one of the things people say a lot about gratitude is well how can you be grateful for everything in life you know and, and I want to share two quick stories okay the first one is I was taught years ago I was you know when I changed vocations from practicing criminalistics to doing you know more or less what I'm doing now the development of intertalk programs to help people the kind of research and so forth that we do I had to move from being a sort of jaded person to somebody that could be optimistic because you know I I didn't I was not the most optimistic person by any sense of the word and uh, to make a long story short uh, I sought a mentor and uh, I met with her one day and she said to me Ellen you have to change your perspective if you're going to change anything in your life what you have to begin to do is everything that you see in the world find some good in it <laughs> and I laughed at that. I said, Connie, you're crazy. You, you have any idea the kinds of things that I, you know, dealt with and see? How do you find good in? And she said, Eldon, if you'll take time to just find something good in it, to just say to yourself, I can't wait to see what good comes from this because you can't see it right this minute, but, but to expect that it will be there, it'll change your perspective said okay you know I'll try that so I left Connie's I went back to my office and as I was pulling into my office in my new Eldorado Barrettes this guy in an old pickup truck backed out of the restaurant right there that I had to pass broadsides my car I'm not happy about this but I say to myself I can't wait to see what good comes <laughs> from this I stepped out of my car and started around that little switch just saying that changed my perspective because the guy standing there this older gentleman wagging a finger at me all angry accusing me of hiding my Cadillac my new Cadillac behind his pickup truck so he could run into it now I happened to be two law enforcement officers come out of the restaurant they saw what was happening I ended up in the car with one and we roared we just we were this guy was crazy that I'd hide my car by okay so Bottom line is, I've shared that story with a lot of people, and every time I think about it, you know, I, I smile. It, it, it's, if there's any good that came from it, obviously the good was I didn't get all the muscle. There wasn't some exchange of yelling and screaming or more. You know, my car got fixed. Those are little things in life. And when I think about that now, I still get this warm smile that you know that was kind of crazy 
Now, the other story is this. There's this story that I love about an old farmer. And this is during the Civil War days. And uh, they're barely eking things out, he and his son. And one day his son's out early in the spring, and he's got the, the mules, and they're harnessed up to the plow, and storm suddenly comes up, lightning strikes, they bolt, and that old harness breaks, and they run away. Well, without the mules, he's not going to be able to plow, and the old farmer's dependent upon that, and his son to, you know, I mean, they're barely getting by. And the whole town turns out, such bad luck, such bad luck. And the old farmer, he says, you know, good luck, bad luck, who knows? Well, the next day, those two mules come back, and they bring with them a whole herd of wild horses. Well, the farmer and his son see him coming in. They run out, open up the gates, in they come. They close them up, and here are all these horses. And horses are worth a lot of money. And the whole town turns out such great luck. And the old farmer, good luck, bad luck, who knows? Well, the next day, the boy goes out. He's got to break these horses, you know, sell them to the army. And the first one he climbs on flips over backwards, breaks his leg, his arm. Well, now what are they going to do? And the whole town turns out, such bad luck, such bad luck. And the old farmer, good luck, bad luck, who knows? The next day, the army marches in, and they subscript every able-bodied man, and off to Shiloh they go, where most of them die. Good luck, bad luck, who knows? So that gratitude attitude gives us that focus that offers us the opportunity to make the best of everything we experience in our life. The last thing, service, you know, of all the things I've learned in my life, this is probably the most important message. I can tell you, and again, I'm going to share a story with you. You know this story because by then you were there. I had a woman come into my offices. Um, she was suicidal, uh, self-mutilation. She'd been referred by a local psychiatrist. When I looked at her intake sheets, I saw that her first healthcare professional was none other than Milton Erickson. I honestly thought to myself, if he couldn't help her, what on earth am I supposed to do? I sat there puzzled for a minute, and I suppose, you know, I do believe that inspiration and perspiration accompany one another. If if you train hard enough, work hard enough, and give an opportunity, maybe you get a break. And that day, I think I got a break because I decided to convolute the model for this girl. And that essentially meant that I explained to her I was going to see her in what we call brief therapy, 10 weeks, once a week. Um, and I expected her to do homework. And if she wasn't willing to do that, she had to leave. I've got to hurry this story up because we're about out of time. But the long and the short of it is, I told her she had to do a good deed every day for that first week. She had to write it in a journal, bring the journal with her every week when she came in. The last thing I wanted her to do at night was to take that journal out and read what she had done and think about how that made her feel and how it made the person she did the good deed for feel. Then go ahead and go to sleep. Week two, it was two a day. Week three, it was three a day. We got it up to five a day. She didn't always do five a day. And at first, some of them were pretty, you know, um, they weren't the greatest um, kinds or ways that you might help somebody out. But what happened is it changed a pattern. She stopped thinking of herself as this victim. Stopped thinking of herself as unworthy. Started to realize that your true worth is not in what you do for yourself. It's what, what you do for others. It's when you put your head on the pillow at night and you get that warm, fuzzy feeling because you think about that person who you were able to go to in a state of need and help them and how that makes them feel and how that makes you feel. It's when you, when you have that sense that your life matters 
that you're really an agent able to contribute in this world in a meaningful way if to just one person. But when you do it as an active part of your life, all of a sudden, life changes. And for her, it changed. In no time, she was off of all medication. I followed her, as you know. Uh, Her life was a complete change. And it changed because she gained a genuine self-worth. I'm not talking about a false sense of self-esteem. I'm talking about a genuine sense of self-worth. And again, that comes from what you do for others. All right, I hurried that up because I want you to tell everybody once again where they can get the Forgiving and Letting Go program that we have run all sorts of research on and know for a fact uh, is, is the place for everybody to begin in improving their life and uh, and you're giving it away today, so tell them quickly. We are. We're giving away totally free of charge, and it does give a great feeling of self-peace when you forgive others and when you forgive yourself too. You know, it's amazing how much you can hold yourself back with things that you may have forgotten about, but they're still there in the recesses of your mind. And so go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash not forward slash chat, provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash forgive. Get your copy today, download it, play it, and then tell us how it worked for you. Okay, we're out of time. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends, let's have them join us. Until then, remember, wherever you are in the world, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.